Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is Arscast Extra. Hello there, welcome to another Arscast Extra brought to you today by Audible for a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial. Go to audibletrial.com forward slash Arscast, audibletrial.com forward slash Arscast. James, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon to you. Um, um, yes. Hello, here Hello. we are. Indeed, we're here. I'm and still in Scotland. You're still in Scotland. Yes, for a couple more days. You could, uh, you could almost become a citizen at this point. Probably. I've got a muck in my name, they'll never know. Yeah. Sneaking under the radar. I can't really do the accent. But then, to be honest, in Edinburgh, neither can a lot of them. <laughs> so I think it'll be fine. Um, and I'm back on Tuesday, tomorrow, and then straight in for the, the Champions League game midweek. Right. right back into the thick of things. Indeed. Um, but, yeah. So did you, I mean, did you get a chance to watch the game at the weekend, obviously? I did. Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, I actually missed the very start. I missed the first sort of 15 minutes. And I think I said on Twitter that having walked in, not really knowing the lineup, um, it was impossible to work out sort of who was playing where. Uh, but then I was quickly assured by a lot of people at home that that was pretty difficult, even if you had seen the starting lineup, to be honest. <laughs> it was a little disjointed, wasn't it? it or it felt yeah. a bit disjointed um, in terms of in terms of the way we set up. I mean, I, I kind of call that team on the on the blog. Mm. On Saturday morning, I was wondering if he might do that, uh, and he did it. But does it s- strike you that it's um, it's something that's going to take a bit of work before we can apply that system? I think so, yeah. I mean, we've talked a lot about Alexis Sanchez and what his best position will be. And I do think he'll play games through the middle. But I was surprised uh, that the manager deployed that as early as he did because Sanchez doesn't look you know, fully ready, fully adapted. And I thought it was an awfully big ask to suddenly throw him in at the deep end, as it were, as a, a central striker. And, you know, the first half, it really looked like a bit of a, a replay of last year. It looked like it was going to end out, you know, exactly the same, didn't mm. it? Yeah, it was worrying because, obviously, uh, Everton had played quite well. We weren't playing particularly well. An element of uh, uh, bad fortune, I think, about their second goal, because I thought that it was a foul on Mertesacker. And, and offside was, as well. It was an offside decision that you would expect a competent official to get because it wasn't, you know, it was relatively tight, but pretty obvious all the same. 
Mm, no, I would agree with that. Uh, I, you know, it's one of those decisions that maybe you get at home. I don't know. It seemed very odd, though, that it was allowed to go on. Um, particularly the offside, I thought that was pretty pretty clear cut, really. Sometimes with a foul, you can kind of, you know, you can see both sides of it as coming together and you can understand how that mistake's made. But very disappointing for me with the offside. But yeah, I, I really didn't, I didn't see Arsenal getting back into that game at half time. Um, I couldn't couldn't foresee in a uh, you know a situation where that happened because as you say the play was disjointed players didn't seem to know what they were doing you know what there was you know there was no understanding between Ozil and Sanchez mm. and also you know we had that kind of physically jaded thing that we've had for the first few games where we just didn't look to be at our best and obviously the half-time substitution that Arsene Wenger made made an absolutely enormous difference. Yeah, um, Giroud got some stick for his performance midweek against Besiktas and, mm. uh, you know, by all accounts, uh, didn't play particularly well. But he he did make a big difference uh, in the second half that we instantly looked a lot more dangerous and threatening, even if his finishing was a, was a touch wayward. Um, you know, he probably should have done better with the chance created by, by Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. Um, is that something we're just going to have to live with, that we probably look a better attacking side with a player like like Giroud in it in the system that we currently use or you know throughout the season might we be able to tailor that by using someone like Alexis or, or Walcott as a as a front man I do think that it'll be a sort of question of horses for courses and there'll be games where Walcott or, or Sanchez is a, a more obvious or more sensible choice um I just think at the moment Alexis isn't ready to be playing in that position I think it was too much to ask too soon really uh, and at present Giroud's the best option we've got mm. certainly way ahead of, uh, of Sonogo for me you know when you think about the way they bring other players into play and even goal threat um, so I, I do think he's the best option but you know he can't play every game this was something that we encountered last season he, he was asked to play every game and he faded dramatically uh, in the spring so I think Wenger's probably already got a mind, uh, an eye on that and he's trying to mitigate against it by not playing Giroud when he can. And I think that he will get chances to do that later in the season, but in these first few weeks, I'd be inclined to stick with Giroud. Were you surprised by um, how ruthless Arsene was in terms of making his change at half-time? A little bit, yeah, because he doesn't normally make half-time changes, does he? And you would sort of expect him to give Alexis a, a, a bit more of a chance, um, mm. you know, in his, his first uh, away game. And um, it was obviously something he thought might work against Everton, but perhaps the the fact that he did it at halftime was an acknowledgement that, look, this we're not ready for this yet. And you spoke about the understanding between Alexis and Ozil, and, and there wasn't really one, which is completely understandable, given that they haven't played together before. They might well take them a bit of time to to get on the on the same wavelength. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it was an acknowledgement, not so much of a, of Alexis's poor performance because I don't think he played any worse than than anyone else really, but just that the system itself wasn't working, that we weren't threatening, um, and when we did, we were a little bit off. I mean, the first fifteen minutes you missed, and I think Oxlade Chamberlain had two or three shots. Uh, a couple of decent opportunities to get uh, to get the ball on target and, and miss those. But that was really about all we had. It was balls that were breaking to the edge of the box and, and Oxlade-Chamberlain would crack it wide. But we weren't creating 
a great deal. Mm. A lot of that down to Everton as well, though. I mean, I think people are uh, people are focusing on on how poorly we played, and that's right. But also not uh, giving Everton enough credit for for what was a, a good performance, and um, uh, and they made it very very difficult for us. So bearing that in mind, what what do you what do you take from the game overall? In the sense that this time last season or th- this game last season would have been one we really really struggled to get anything from. Um, do we have to take the positive from the fact we kept going and, and got the two late goals? I think so. I mean, I think my main emotion coming away from it was uh, relief. You know, our, our unbeaten start to the season was intact. And, you know, m- most times you play that game, you, you're in that situation where you're two goals down, it's game over. You need a little bit of fortune to get back into it. You need a lot of determination and you need to, bloody well you know play a lot better too and Arsenal managed to to do all those three things and yeah you've got to be delighted with that I mean from that position it's a terrific result and while the performance wasn't perfect a lot of sides will go to Goodson Park and lose this season so I think we'll look back on it as a a a very decent point Mm. and obviously given the game that we have in midweek against Mm. uh, Besiktas it's important to go into that with some measure of confidence and belief you don't want to be coming off an away game that you know let's face it 2-0 at half time another Everton goal and people are talking about uh, a crisis at Arsenal or how nothing has changed from last season etc etc so I mean do you think that the players involved are going to take uh, a boost from that. I mean, we do need to improve the level of our performances overall, though. Yeah, we obviously do, and I think we're still some way from our best. But it would have been very difficult to have lost to Everton and go into the Besiktas game with all that pressure. You know, you know how the, the media love a, a crisis at Arsenal, uh, and I think you know one defeat probably would have been enough for them to start bringing out the broken cannons. You know, with those guys, and I, I think. Um, it's really important that we kept some kind of momentum going. And I'm sure it will be a boost to, to certain players, particularly Giroud, who will have been disappointed to have been left out and now will almost certainly start against Besiktas mm. uh, with, you know, a, a good degree of confidence. And uh, I, I think it's, you know, it's one of those games. I mean, Everton will be kicking themselves. For, that's not a game they should have lost from the position they were in. Um that's but, two weeks in a row for them as well yeah. that they've led a game very late and um, have dropped points. Yeah, and you know they're, they're pushing for top four this year, uh, and they'll they'll have regrets about that this early on. Whereas you know we've two twice in two Premier League games we've been the beneficiary of a late goal. Late goals do great things for morale, uh, and I think we've got to look at it as a positive start, especially when you consider how far we are from our best. You know, mm. we, we're getting decent results without really putting in decent performances. So hopefully once the once the performances come together, we'll have the complete package. That's, that's got to be the hope anyway. Yeah, sure. I mean, I always thought August was going to be a struggle with the players away from the World Cup and, and, and everything else. So, yeah. you know, um, won't say so far so good, but, you know, it, it really could have been worse against Everton. And, you know, we're a few seconds away from dropping points at home against Palace. So we're kind of flying by the, the, the skin of our teeth here. I don't know. Can Wait. you fly by the skin of your teeth? You know what I'm trying to say, though. We're cutting it fine, certainly. And yeah. um, I mean, how do you feel about the Besiktas game? Do you feel confident about that? Um, I don't know whether confident is the right word. Uh, mm. 
I mean, I think on paper we've got enough to beat them. I just worry that the readiness, the lack of readiness that we have, um, yeah, I think that's that's affecting our, our performances. And I think we're a team that needs to be at our physical best to play the best football. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. It is, it's kind of a, a scary prospect because I think as Jack Wilshire called it a cup final, which it is almost in a way. There's so much riding on it and they have the away goals thing to their advantage. And, you know, we're, we haven't quite clicked yet as a team. Uh, and they, as we know, are going to work really hard and make it really, really difficult for us. So we have to uh, up the level of our performance. Um, so, yeah, I mean, what about you? I mean, I think it's quite a nervy game, this one. I think it's a massive game. Um, I think it's really important, you know, you assemble this stellar cast of players and then should you fail to get into the Champions League, they're, they're going to be disappointed and it's mm-hmm. going to have a big impact. You know, you worry about, you remember Andrea Chavin not getting to the World Cup and the downturn in his performances that that, that, that caused. And in a way, you know, the Champions League is the, is the club level equivalent. Everybody wants to be there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and nobody wants to be in the Europa League as well. Conversely, that yeah. would be a real pain in the arse to be honest yeah um i mean you know i thought in the first game particular created some some good chances they looked dangerous ember bar i thought was a threat i think it's going to be it's going to be very tight but when you look at the you know the 11 will be able to field hopefully you know brinkers all are in brinkers shelney in some fresh legs there uh, i think that'll be needed because yeah. they they looked more energetic than us in the first match mm. uh quite a number of people have, have put this in the question section but i just want to touch on it um in, in this first part of the show lucas podolski not involved mm. uh, on saturday against everton um which you have to imagine signals the end for him um yeah, the right really be a fitness issue, and there's talk about you know Wolfsburg. Lekeep are saying a deal with Wolfsburg is agreed three years. Um, what do you make of a the departure, and is it possible that he's letting Lucas Podolski go to make room for someone like Joel Campbell, or do you think that it's uh, it's it's going to preface a signing because a lot of people will say, look, if you're letting a player of Podolski's um, quality and you know someone who gives the squad depth if you're letting him go you've got to replace him but is Joel Campbell that guy for example I'm not sure Joel Campbell's that guy certainly not in Arsene Wenger's eyes you know Joel Campbell came on against Everton but I I kind of felt that was a last throw of the dice as much as anything else mm. he wasn't introduced at half time like Giroud you know and um, I'm not surprised by Podolsky's exit I think we've talked on here before about how it didn't necessarily seem that there was room for both him and Campbell in the squad, but I feel like if he's being sold to make room for anybody, it's more likely somebody like Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, who, albeit that he's a very different player to Podolsky, um, is someone who, who can play in the same role uh, as a winger and who needs to get more game times, really, if, he, if he's going to push on in his development. And uh, I wonder if, if that might be a factor, you know, looking at players in the squad who aren't identical to Podolsky in style, but who fulfil similar functions and who need mm. to get games. I mean, Sanchez would be another, potentially, who might play in those wide positions uh, on the left, perhaps. So I, I don't think it's a direct thing of Campbell kind of su- supplanting uh, Podolsky in the squad. I do worry about the lack of goals. You know, I, I do worry that, you know, the big shortfall 
last season, if you compared us to Manchester City and Chelsea, was uh, the amount of goals that they scored, particularly Manchester City. And, um, you know, we're selling someone who basically guarantees you double figures. If, you, if he gets games, but also he will score. Uh, and that's slightly alarming, if not surprising. What's what's your feeling about it? I just, yeah. I, uh, I don't know, because it's... Um, I think we've heard, you know, over time that Arsene Wenger and Luka, maybe the not that the relationship between them isn't great, but, you know... He was always being substituted. It, it seemed clear for quite a while that Arsene Wenger wasn't entirely convinced by Podolsky as a player. Mm. Um, but like you say, he gets you goals. I just wonder if the reason it's happening now is because we've got something lined up. Um, as I mentioned in the blog, if the manager had made his mind up at the end of last season, he surely would have told Podolsky, and then during the summer he could have gone and found himself a new club uh, at his leisure or his agents could have worked it that way whereas if it's happening now it suggests perhaps that the decision has only been made relatively recently and maybe that just speaks to the fact that we might have something lined up um i mean i do, you know i we we've said on this podcast over and over that i don't think we we're going to sign another forward but if we let a forward go and you look at the options that we have doesn't look like a title winning forward line really does it mm. so mm. maybe there's something coming in but it's just hard to know um i mean he's a he's a popular guy and very popular with the fans and obviously in the dressing room but i mean i think if we let him go and we bring in a better player no complaints whatsoever the issue would be that if we're going to let him go and bank on more unproven players to to fill that gap that would be the worry for me anyway do you think there'll be a financial motivation if he does go behind selling him? You know, he'd be quite an expensive uh, substitute in salary terms. Yeah, but I mean, I think that's par for the course. If you're building a squad that wants to win the title and wants to win the Champions League, you've got to have those kind of players. Mm. You've got to have that kind of depth. Um, I mean, I don't think his wages would be a huge issue. I, I can, I can understand why we'd want to sell him rather than loan him. Um, but yeah, no, I don't, I mean, I, I think the only motivation for selling him has to be, um, football rather than financial. I don't think we're in a position where we really have to worry that much about, um, what we're spending on, on wages. But if Harson doesn't feel his value for the money, maybe that's, that's part of it. But you'd hope that it's, it's being made for a football reason that if, if he goes in, somebody better comes in, but one week until transfer deadline. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd love to believe that another attacker would come in to replace Podolsky, but I I don't see it, unfortunately. I think I think the club could still make two signings, but I think they'll both be in the defensive, you know, third of the field, really. Oh. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, what's, what's pushing you to say we need a... I've noticed on, on your blog that you've been saying we need a new centre-forward and more and more so recently. Is it just... Is it the reality of seeing Sonogo in the team that sort of pushes you to that conclusion? Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, um, I think he's... Obviously, somebody Arsene Wenger has um, some faith in and he's thrown him into big games. But look, the guy can't score a goal at the moment and it might well be that he gets one and opens the floodgates and, and what have you but I think you need 
more reliable options. Mm. You know, uh, and if he can go out on loan for a year and come back with with a season of first team football under his belt, uh, and that works for him and for us, then great. But yeah, I don't know. I just it just feels a little bit light up there, particularly as we've spoken about how how Giroud's style of play is is important to the team. That's probably why Sonogo is is there because mm. he is an alternative in 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 that sense, but. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, it would just be... I'm interested to see what's going to happen between now and next Monday. But, you know, we've got Walcott coming back, Alexis coming back. But, I, you know, I'm not entirely convinced by, by our forward options. And if there was another striker out there or another forward, not necessarily a central striker, um, I'd be interested in, in seeing us bring him in. So, Right, well, look, we'll leave that for part one. Mm -hmm. Uh, We'll take a short little break here and we'll be back with part two and your questions. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra, brought to you today by Audible.com. You can get yourself a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial by going to audibletrial.com forward slash Arscast. That's audibletrial.com forward slash Arscast. Arscast and get your free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial. Now, time for the uh, the bit where we answer your questions sent to Gunner Blog and Ars Blog on Twitter with the hashtag Arscast Extra. James, you have the first question. I do, and it's from John Finley, whose Twitter handle is at John underscore Finn. Uh, and we were just talking about strikers then, but he asks, you discussed Balotelli's suitability back in July at 16 million. Do you think passing on, passing on him is one we'll regret for years to come. I guess it all depends on what happens between now and the end of the transfer window, that if we go out and buy somebody who can fit into our forward line or who can improve our forward line, Mm. then maybe not. Um, I mean, the thing about Balotelli is there's just an inherent risk, isn't there? That for all the quality and potential that he has, there are issues with him... Um, in terms of his his character and his behavior and whether or not that's something that that's always going to be part of his um makeup we, we just don't know so liverpool seem happy to take the the 16 million pound risk um yeah I, you know ask anyone would you prefer mario balotelli or yaya sonogo right now in the team yeah. and, and everyone would choose balotelli um so it all it really all depends what we do um between now and, and Monday. What what do you think? I mean, would would you have gone for him? I don't know. I do think it's a good price. I mean, I know that there is that risk attached, but if you think, you know, a couple of years ago he's worth thirty million, you know, plus maybe. Yeah. And there's some talk of a, a significant drop in salary as well for him to come back to England. I think um I worry about how combustible a character he is, but in terms of his qualities on the pitch he would certainly be a good option as a centre-forward for us. But, you know, Arsene Wenger was quite dismissive about the stories about Balotelli, wasn't he, towards the start of the season. He said, you know, we were linked with him and there was never anything in it. I think he's not a character who Wenger necessarily fancies working with. Mm. Um, So I'm not sure it would ever have been an option. But certainly at that price, a, a tempting gamble. But I'm not surprised that we're not anywhere near it, really. It's not... Not quite Arsene style. Right then. This one comes from uh, at Jagsy10. 
Mm-hmm. And he says, do you see Arsenal persisting with this 4-1-4-1 formation? And why would we switch when we have the best number? T- Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Ken in the world, which uh, I assume is Mesut Ozil. Um, but, yeah, I mean, what what did you make of the way that Ozil was deployed against Everton as well on the left-hand side? That's surely not a long-term thing. No. I mean, you know, Germany, Germany won the World Cup with Mesut Ozil playing on the left of midfield, but they have um, a, a more balanced central midfield than we're able to field at the moment. I'm not entirely convinced by... Ramsey and Wilshire playing together in the middle. It doesn't seem to be clicking. I know it's very early days to be saying that, but as a central midfield, it doesn't have the same the, the balance that you'd necessarily hope for. Um, I do think there's something a bit odd going on tactically, and I do think that a lot of it is based around Jack Wilshire, and I don't think it's even a question of his quality, but I feel like he's being included in the team and and it's slightly unsettling. I think it's not necessarily functioning as well as the midfield did last season. Um, I mean, but, who uh, would you play ahead of, instead of Wilshire, or how well, would you it. tweak it? That's it. That's the, the the problem is availability. It's what we've got at the moment. Um, you know, if if without Arteta as well, it, it's particularly difficult. But I, I would I would put Ramsey back alongside a holder, so I would have Arteta or Flamini with Ramsey alongside and then, you know, somebody like Mesut Ozil or in his absence, perhaps even an Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain or Santi Cazorla mm. ahead, ahead of that. Um, whereas what we've got at the moment, it's kind of, as, as, as Jagsy implies, is kind of one sitter and then both Ramsey and Wilshire bombing on. Um, yeah, I, I would revert to more what we saw last season. I think that had more balance and asserted greater control of the, the middle third. Um, what have you made of it? Yeah, I thought Ozil looked a bit lost, to be honest. Um, mm. You know, you can criticise him for not tracking the run of Seamus Coleman for for the goal, but, you know, I'm not necessarily sure that, you know, the, the defensive side of the game is, is, uh, is where you should give him the responsibility. I think he needs to be given the creative role. Um, but I thought, you know, there are a couple of moments where we saw him drift central and, and try a couple of nice passes. And obviously you'd like to see him uh, in that role because he can he can pull the strings. You want him looking left and right and seeing who's outside of him. Um, maybe when Walcott's back, you know, we, we, we line up with Walcott on the right. 
Alexis on the left. Um, Giroud as a striker or somebody else as a striker with Ozil in behind. And that looks to me like a, a fairly dynamic mm. forward line um, that, that might get the strengths out of all of those players because you, you've got the guys wide who can use their pace. You've got Giroud who can hold it up and lay it off to those guys making the runs inside. And Ozil obviously has then got options. Uh, in terms of in terms of his passing, whereas he didn't seem to have that uh, on Saturday. But no, I don't see him on the left as a as a long term thing. So no, I mean on on the subject of what you said, um, we had that uh, a question from uh, at uh, Geezy Peas Ricky G, and he asked, uh, "Do you think we can get all our best players in their best positions in our best 11? Yeah, I think it's I think it's possible. I think it's possible. Well, I mean, you know, the back four does itself. Yeah. Uh, and then moving forward, what you'd have probably Arteta and Ramsey with Ozil head in a central sort of you know number ten role. Yeah, and Walcott, I think is is at his best on the right hand side. Even though, you know, he he talks about playing central, and he did have that good game against Tottenham in the uh, in the FA Cup centrally. But I think. You know, he's he's played most of his career there, scored most of his goals from there, so he can play right-hand side. Mm-hmm. I don't know about Alexis on the left necessarily because um, I, I don't know. Did he play there a great deal for Barcelona? No, not really. Yeah, so um, unless the manager sees him as having similar qualities to somebody like Robert Perez... Um, you know, who can who can start out wide and, and make those runs into the center... Um, that that would be the the left hand side is the one where I'm not entirely sure who we should play there, or or how we would set up. No. Um, and then I suppose if you if you look at it, it, comes right down to the fact that that Giroud is our best central striker mm-hmm. right now, so it's easy enough to see him there. So maybe the left hand side is the only the only real issue. Where, yeah, it's, where it seems to be. It seems to be the home for people who, you know, whose best position is probably elsewhere, but it's taken by somebody else. Santi Cazorla, you know, his best position would probably be as a central number 10, but the presence mm-hmm. of Mesut Ozil forces him to play on the left. Um, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, even when he plays there, you know, it's not necessarily his, his best role, but it's kind of where he, he can fit in. And the same may prove to be true mm. of uh, Alexis. There's no, there's no pure out-and-out left-winger candidate, really. Um, so it, it tends to be a little bit of a, a square peg, round hole, that one. Yeah. But other that, than that's that, where we have Cazorla, you know. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But other than that, um, other than that, you know, that's that's pretty much the best players in their best positions, I would say. Yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, I mean, I can't wait to see that sort of team take the field. It feels unlikely that we'll ever actually get to it yeah. um, with our, our history of injury problems, but should we do so? Yeah, I'd love to see that. I think that would be really dynamic, That, as you were saying, you know, Ozil having the options of two two quick wide man, but also somebody who can hold the ball up. I think that would you know bring the best out of him and, and bring the best out of us. Yeah, okay, well, we'll see. I mean, it's just interesting to see what the manager's... Um decisions will be when he's got Walcott back because I think that's this that's the return that that gives him the most um headaches. Mm. How does or, he fit Walcott into his team? 
or the most, you know, flexibility, depending on how you want to look at it. Yeah, that too. That too. All right, here's one from at, uh, I don't know how to pronounce this, Signe uh, Salumets, I think okay. it is. And he's uh, in the wake of uh, further stories this morning saying, Carvalho, why is everybody so excited about him? He seems like a 30 million euro meh to me. Is he really good? Mm. Mm. Well, I can only go on the opinion of others who've seen more of him. But about uh, 18 months ago, was it? Yeah, something like that, 15, 18 months ago. Uh, a friend of mine who watches a lot of Portuguese football was absolutely raving to me that this guy was nailed on one of the next big stars of European football. What he actually said was that he's the midfielder Manchester United need, and he'd be incredibly surprised if he didn't end up at Old Trafford. However, Man U are doing a terrific job of, of buying players, or not buying players, that they do need. Mm. You know, they've passed up on uh, Cesc Fabregas, and a couple of other central midfielders have been allowed to slip through the net, which I'm delighted about. And um, I, I think, you know, he, he does seem like a, a big prospect, Carvalho, is it? I mean, he's not just a prospect. He's also a full Portuguese international. Um, he's done very, very well at sporting. He's fits the mould in terms of where he plays, in terms of the type of midfielder that he is. So I think it's it's natural that people will be excited about the stories about his potential arrival because as a fan base, we've kind of craved a, a powerful defensive midfield player and now we're being linked with on with one. And it'd be, you know, it'd be terrific to add to add that option to the squad. Mm. Um, I mean, what, what's your what's your point of view? I mean, I, I'm guessing you, like like many of us, haven't seen too much of him. No, I haven't. I mean, I can't really say anything about the way he plays because I saw bits of him in the World Cup and that was about the size of it and Portugal weren't particularly good anyway. Um, mm. But, you know, I think if... Um, if Arsene Wenger sees a player and sees the poten- the potential in a player, he's quite happy to spend the money. You know, let's remember he spent, you know, £15 million on a 16-, 17-year-old Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, um, which is a lot of money. Of course, there's the English premium there, but there you go. He's done it again with Callum Chambers. So if he sees a young player, and he's not that long or not that experienced, Carvalho, but, um, yeah, I mean... We'll have to wait and see, but obviously there are knock-on effects then for for the squad, um, which is why, you know, I think it could be quite a quite a busy week in terms of um, in terms of the transfer market. Mm. I think there might be a, a bit of business. So that'd be exciting. Mm. Here's one from uh, Chris Martin, who thankfully is not the lead singer of Coldplay, right? Um, and he says, Cavani aside, can you name any? world-class, world-class in one in commas there, strikers available if Arsene Wenger wanted to splash out on a Giroud upgrade. I mean, can you think of... We've spoken about Balotelli, but is there anyone else out there? Um, I mean, there was some talk, wasn't there, about Falcao being available this summer. Um, but I think he's part of the kind of George Mendes stable. So I think a move to Real Madrid's nailed on eventually for him. Uh, I'm just trying to think beyond that, really. I mean, is is it is it not more likely that if we're going to buy a striker, it'd probably be somebody who could develop into this world class? Yeah, option, absolutely. Rather absolutely. than buying the established world class option, because that seems to be what well what most clubs do. I mean, Liverpool bought Luis Suarez when you know he was a well thought of player, but not 
the best striker in the world by any means. Uh, and over time, he developed. We saw it with, with Thierry Henry. We saw it with Robin Van Persie. That, the, you know, sometimes it takes time for a striker to develop into the, the, the world-class player people want. So it seems more likely to me that we might find somebody a little off the beaten track and try and make them world-class. Mm, indeed. In maybe the second division of French football. Yeah. On, a, on a treatment room table. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I, yeah, I, I can't think of any sort of immediately obvious world-class strikers who are available. But like you, I don't think Arsenal would do that anyway. I feel like um, if there are signings to you now at the end of the window, I, I don't think any of them will top the fee that we paid for Alexis Sanchez. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think with the options he's got in terms of Sanchez and Giroud, I think he would be looking for someone, you know, a little bit further down the pecking order, someone who could develop and uh, could develop and challenge those players, yeah. and probably not come in straight away as a you know your top man up top. All right, uh, let's have this question. This is from uh, D Espinosa or El Canon, and he asks: Will Arsene get his cock out this season? Will his cock be part of a sweet deal, or will he just sell his cock for good? And I should stress, he's spelling cock C-O-Q. C-O-Q. He's talking about uh, Francis. Francis Coquelin. Well, as I, we posted a story about Carvalho on um, on the Arsblog News, mm. and as uh, a Finnish gunner, Yanni, uh, commented on Twitter, uh, because Coquelin is being suggested as, as part of the deal who go to sporting in place of Carvalho, um, he says it's, it's the old cock willy switcheroo. So... <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think Coquelin will probably go between now and the end of, of the transfer window. So Arsene will get his cock out. It just really depends who gets their hands on, on Arsene's cock. Um, I know Harry Redknapp is particularly interested. He's expressed a great, great desire uh, in, in, in Arsene's mm. cock. I, w- I wouldn't like to see that. I wouldn't like to see that. It's not oh. a particularly pleasant image. No. Really no. isn't. Um, I know he's been, you know, trying to get his hands on it for some for on the on the cock for some time, mm. but I do think you know that that's not really w- what you'd want to see happen in this situation. No, I mean I think Arson would be quite, uh, you know, it's his cock after all, so he'd be quite careful about where he let it go and and who he'd let handle it. Exactly. I mean, he, you know, you he's know. had it there a while. Yeah, he's, he's had that cock he's, from he's, quite a young age. He's watched him develop. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's not something you want to entrust to anyone. No. I mean, I certainly wouldn't let any old Joe so, you know, play with my cock. So, yeah, um, yeah no, I, I think he'll. I think he'll probably go, but um, where that—that's the big question. Mm. Very grown-up podcast, this isn't it? It is all right. Yeah. This one, this question comes from Steve Moore. Um, uh, he said he'd been reading the the uh, blog book together, but he said, uh, "Which one, Invincible?" Mm. Would you augment our squad with to address our current needs? So any single player from that 2003-2004 season right now, you could transport them back in time or forward in time at their peak age. Who would it be? It's not easy, is it, actually? Oh, because I think it's easy. All right, okay. I think um, it's really easy. Well, I mean, Thierry Henry is my first thought. Then I had a flash of, oh, Patrick Vieira is pretty good, isn't he? Mm. Uh, but then, 
it would for me it would have to be Henri because I do think that a world class striker can cover up for a, a lot of deficiencies. If I think about the Manchester United team that that won the league with Wayne Rooney and Ron Van Persie up front, their midfield was pretty woeful, but they got out of jail so many times because they had people who could score goals. Mm. Uh, and so for that reason, it would be Thierry Henry. How about you? Yes, exactly right. the same. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, you know, you could make a great case for Perez. Yeah. Uh, you could make a case for Vieira, that's for sure. Um, maybe even maybe even Saul Campbell mm-hmm. back when he was really good. But if you're looking at the squad and the thing that everybody really wants right now is, is the world-class striker. I mean, we've touched on the defensive midfield thing and people will say Vieira, but he was never a defensive, defensive midfielder, you know? Mm. Um, so yeah, no. For me, it would be it would be Thierry because that would just be fucking amazing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Thierry. <sighs> right, one more from you. One more. This is a, a little short one, really. It's from Harry Nose Dad. Good name. Right. And he asks, "I love Rosicky and what he gives the team. So why do you think he isn't being used more often?" Um. Do you think he's being phased out, maybe? No, not necessarily. But I think, you know, given his age, he is going to find his role somewhat diminished. Yeah. Um, And maybe just the type of games that we've had to play in the last last couple of weeks or in the first couple of weeks of the season. Like, you know, you don't bring him on against uh, Palace when you need a goal because he's not that kind of a player, is he? No. I was in, not necessarily surprised, but it wouldn't have surprised me if against Everton he had started on the on the left-hand side, mm. in, you know, based on last season's formation, because that was something that he did quite a bit, um, playing Rosicki there. He played Ben Ayun there in, in that season when we, when we had him on loan. And just to provide that bit of um, pressure and harrying and, and everything else, uh, but, you know, I think he'll get games. Um, I think that his influence will be somewhat smaller on the pitch. But um, I just think it was cir- circumstances more than more than anything else that, that didn't see him get on, for example, against Everton, because you've got to put on uh, as many attacking players as you can. Goal scorers, yeah. Goal scorers. But, I, you know, I do like Rosicki and the energy that he gives us and, and the directness of him. I think... Perhaps what the manager sees is Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain doing a similar kind of job in the sense that he likes to get forward and he drives the team forward as, as much as possible. But, you know, I think he'll play throughout the season. I think he's, uh, I think he's a great player. But just age and, and circumstance um, have kept him out. What, what do you reckon? Yeah, I'm, I'm much the same. I think, you know, it's, we're only a few games in and I think he'll get plenty of game time as the season wears on. Particularly... In the bigger matches, we know Arsene Wenger likes to use him, you know, in some of those occasions because of of what he brings to the team. And I think I think we'll be in and around the starting eleven for for a lot of those games. Mm. Right then, final question. Go on then. From this comes from Ross Hacker, mm. and uh, I can't pronounce his Twitter name because it's got a one in it and a Y and an X and stuff like that. So um, okay, yeah. But he wants to know. If you made a superhero comic about one Arsenal player, who would it be? What is their power? And who is the villain? Oof. 
Okay. Good question. Mm. I mean, the villains all pick themselves. I think... I think it might be about Abu Dhabi. I think his superpower would be... I mean, some would say... You know, there could be some cruel jokes around here. But I think his superpower would be some sort of, like, incredible, powerful foot. And his enemy would be John Terry. And the quest would be that he would have to finish what he started and kick off his head. (laughs) Would he only have two attempts at that per year? Let's say the home game and the away game against Chelsea. Or would he be able to do it after hours? Anytime. Anytime. So he's he's like, he sees John Terry going into into a supermarket and um, he throws down uh, a racist magazine when Mm -hmm. Terry's on his way out. So he'd obviously bend down to try and pick that up and then he could try and boot the head off him on the street? Exactly. One of those popular racist magazines Mm. could be used to distract Terry Um, or, I don't know, a teammate's spouse. Mm. But basically, yeah. And so he chases Terry around London and beyond because, you know, we'll need to stretch this out if the comic runs and runs. Yes. Basically attempting to kick off John Terry's head. If he succeeds, John Terry's head is reattached crudely, uh, just, you know, so that the premise of the comic can continue. Or perhaps, perhaps Diaby can move on to other targets. But maybe John Terry, knowing that he's a supervillain, would also have, like, a superpower. So his superpower could be a titanium neck, so it's yeah. really difficult to kick his head off. That could be it, yeah. Or, or a regenerating head. Imagine that. Oh, that's gross. Yeah, horrific. Mm. Mine would be, I think I'd make one about uh, Per Mertesacker. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know what you call it. He could be like Super Per or Per Man or what have you. Okay. And the villain would be Jose Mourinho, but he's a dog. Okay. He's a, he's a dog. An like intriguing an evil, twist. An evil dog. A bit like, um, I don't know, like one of those Egyptian dogs. You know, the ones you used to, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, uh, yeah, a man with the head of a dog or whatever. That would be it. But Mertesacker's superpower, which he could use only once per game, is he could, like, do a quick incantation and turn a forward or an opposition player into a kitten. Okay. But the problem then would be that Jose Mourinho would come on and, and eat the kittens. Right. Without right. knowing what he's doing. Just because he sees a kitten. Just because thinks... he sees a kitten, he can't help it. It's in his dog DNA. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. what we could do is we could have Per Mertesacker turn Didier Drogba into a kitten, and then Mourinho would eat the kitten without realizing that he's just devoured his favorite striker in the whole world. I think this is a terrific plan. I think it's pretty much only a one-page comic, this one, though, not necessarily a book. Right. <laughs> not necessarily. Let's do the one-page, and look, if if the people love it, they'll spin it out into a full book. Yeah. You know, TV series, merchandise, animated TV series. We could do a movie. I look forward to the movie, definitely. Yeah. I think there's probably a role for us in, in that movie. <laughs> All right. Okay, well, look, um, let's uh, keep fingers crossed for the midweek game against Besiktas. You can hear about all that on the Arscast on Friday. We'll be back with another Arscast Extra next Monday, which is 
deadline day. So we'll, Whoa. Be, uh, we'll be right in the midst of it all. Wow, that is exciting. It is. All right. Well, until then, uh, uh, take it easy and make sure you don't let any strange man play with your cock. Indeed. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 